0: What's up everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Shelton. Today's episode is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps you grow your social media following and increase engagement. You want to learn more, head over to cavesocial.com. Awesome. Today, I am sitting with uh, Suresh Therini Vassan. He is the CMO at Roofstock. He's got over 20 years experience in technology, marketing, from starting his own companies, working at Fortune 500s, to now coming back and really getting under the hood at Roofstock and growing their product and their team. So Really exciting conversation. Also, full disclosure, Cave Social, our company who runs this podcast, has done work with Roofstock and we have helped them with their social media. So I want to get that out there so you guys don't think I'm tricking you, but sit back and enjoy this episode. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Today, I'm sitting with Suresh Srinivasan. He is the CMO at Roofstock. He's got over 20 years of tech experience, starting companies, working at a Fortune 500, but now he's at Roofstock. Thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me,
0: Jordan. And full disclosure, listeners, Suresh and I have known each other for years. We've done some work together here and there. So, if it sounds like we know each other, it's because we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, man, tell me a little bit about your story. You know, starting a company at a young age, going through those that journey into the publicly traded Fortune 500 world, and then making your way back to um, back to your roots, kind of getting back into the startup. Yeah, Talk to me know, through that journey.
1: You know, I started my first real company in college. And the business was really what I had started out. And this is like in the early 90s, right? Like 91. And the business was an automotive, like a temporary staffing service for auto dealerships and primarily for their service departments. And so I did that. I was hustling kind of on the side in between classes and whatnot, trying to get that business off the ground. So I've kind of had this entrepreneurial bent my entire life. Right after college, what was interesting is that I was recruited into a firm out in Connecticut. And this company was called CUC International. No one even knew of them at the time. It was a publicly traded Fortune 500. Um, And it was in 1995. And this was like CUC, think of them as almost like Costco of catalogs. And it was a catalog business. But what they did was they sold an annual membership to consumers to get access to discount goods. So it was like shopping and auto and travel. And all of that kind of stuff. And so if you think about maybe even a more recent analog to this, it's almost like Amazon Prime back in the early 90s. And that business was started in like 1973. And so they were like one of the largest direct mail houses in the U.S. Again, the entire business was through catalogs. And so when I went there in 95, it was all about like, how do we bring our this old school offline business and bring it all online? And they were pretty... Uh, prescient in their approach here, right? Thinking like, hey, interactive, and we need to make some big bets. And so that's where I, I kind of started everything interactive. Awesome experience, young guy. They gave me a lot of leeway to do a lot of stuff and a lot of responsibility, building e-commerce websites and stuff like that. From there, I went over to, um, interesting enough, video games and video game marketing in a company called Blizzard Entertainment. And so I was part of the brand marketing group there, and uh, we were launching you know all these games, It was from Blizzard and seeing how companies were starting to adopt the internet and trying to bring more and more of the commercial elements of their business online that I ended up striking out and going out on my own. And I ended up leaving Blizzard and started my first company. That company was a data center sort of infrastructure business. And the reason for that was that, you know, the the plumbing, the network, the infrastructure, the data center, like none of that really existed. And even if it exists, it was pretty crappy. So I thought, all right, what better way to sort of add a lot of value than creating a really good infrastructure so that websites could be snappy and fast. And, you know, we kind of take it for granted today. But back in the day, it was a big mess. So that was a company okay. called Broadspire. And I had that business for 10 years then ended up having another startup. Then when that one was acquired, ended up having another startup that was really around the real estate vertical. Uh, and when that one was acquired, I ended up going and building a real estate marketplace business just prior to Roofstock.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it's that journey. And a lot of those things you say now, like you're saying, right, we take for granted, like hosting and web infrastructure. But going through and being in those early days, really helping... Uh, set the foundation I'm sure a lot of learnings and really a lot of maybe you know the technology and all that stuff might be outdated today but a lot of the principles learned in those endeavors definitely carry on forward talk to me I guess now right you're you're at roofstock and talk to me about really taking your entrepreneurial mindset and I guess passing that down and kind of instilling a growth mindset amongst your team is there anything that you found to be really Useful in doing that, or you know, evangelizing that, or are there any techniques that you use to really help keep the team, keep that mindset, and really push innovation forward?
1: Yeah, you know what? There's a couple of things. I know a lot of people like to think about the world sort of neatly divided between B2B versus B2C, and for me, it's always been a little bit of a amalgamation of both, if you will. And I'll give you an example of how that is. So, for example, with Roofstock, I'm very much in control of our consumer go-to-market strategy. So how do we get consumers using our platform to invest in real estate? However, when you think about like marketing and go-to-market strategy, you have to think about channels, right? Like who's your customer? Who's your audience? What are the right channels to reach them? And inevitably it leads you down this path where, <clears throat> yeah, you could go direct to consumer. And and if you have massive budgets, of course you could learn a lot faster. But if you have a smaller budget and you're being mindful of your CAC and things like that, then it's probably you're going to get learnings a little bit slower, right? And just So you're going to have sort of a measured pace. One thing that I always instill in the team is like, hey, put your B2B hat on for a second. And then think about like, what's the universe of partnerships that you could go after who could become a really strong distribution channel for you, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people like, they don't naturally gravitate there. You do it if you were sitting sort of in the chief revenue officer bucket, maybe, but you might not go there naturally if you're hired in as a consumer go-to-market strategist in a in a direct-to-consumer business. And so that's one key principle I think the team is kind of learning from right now is, you know, how do you do that? What are the right partnerships? How do you approach partnerships? And that's really B2B, right? And that's more of a direct sales outreach. How do you create a value prop for a partner that aligns them to where you're trying to go? And then how do you get the consumer ultimately into your platform? So we're doing that at Roofstock now.
0: Interesting. And it's one of those things, right? Like putting on your business hat and thinking about, okay, yeah, how is this going to affect the revenue, right? And instilling that down. Actually, I have a funny comparison. It was, I worked at Lululemon in college, right? Mm -hmm. And during that summer, and you just see that Lululemon's corporate values come all the way down to their retail employees. They said, act like you own the business, right? When you're in your section. And it was this little thing of like, what? Like, okay. And they started thinking about like, oh, can you minimize returns? Can you upsell? Can you do all of these things that just shifted the mindset ever so slightly from like, oh, I just, I'm selling yoga pants today. Totally. And
1: And, and that like, you know, people often say, well, I can't really do that. And, you know, I I remember very distinctly at Blizzard, we were a consumer packaged goods company, right? Like literally we took CD-ROMs, right? Put a game on it, put it in a box product and shipped it out to like, Walmart and different retailers. And marketing was really focused on like, what should the box look like? Um, what is in-store merchandising look like and that kind of stuff. And so that's what marketing traditionally did. And I was thinking of it from like, yeah, that's great. That's clearly key focus. But I was thinking about like, hey, how much does it cost us cost of goods to ship a box out? Right. And it turned out like the cost of goods for a box to ship it out, you know, it's like $2.50 or something like that. And I was like, hey, you know, what would be interesting here is if we wanted to get more profitable, why not like figure out who is a good partner to put an ad inside of a box, right? And they might help us offset the cost of goods. So if we're shipping a $2.50 box out, we might have, and back in the day, it was like LA Cellular, some beeper company that <laughs> we had a line of products where it was um, like teach me typing or something like that, right? And it was really business and it was like a very productivity focused. We ended up doing a deal with like LA Cellular and put a beeper ad in there and they were willing to pay us like 15 or 20 cents For insert,
0: all right, and that makes such a a massive, you know, impact on, on the back end. It's one of these things I always say: like, find a business who isn't a competitor but has the same customer, and if you can go out and partner with those people, they'll not only, you know amplify your message to new customers, but they'll sell to their customers that they've already gone and have trust with. So it's so important. And that kind of brings me to the next point, which is something we haven't really touched on on this show a lot. It's so important. And that is really affiliates and using affiliates appropriately. Has there been a, a good way that you've seen um, affiliate marketing, You know, like a do's and don'ts, a quick like, hey, this is where you should go or this is what you should look out for when you're really looking to bring on affiliates? Affiliate, I mean, it's, you can almost enter into the Wild West territory, right?
1: When right. You talk about the affiliate marketing world. I think one real key thing to think about is like, what are your company's core values and principles and find partners who are similar? I think that's one like sort of guiding principle when you enter the affiliate world, because it can go any any which direction. Some of the affiliate partners can get a lot more aggressive with a customer base Trying to drive traffic or growth or or registrations or what have you, and so that's super important. And then, of course, you know everything you touched on, which is like audience overlap, right? You don't want to just have a thousand affiliates. You'll you'll find that you know it's really the twenty percent who are the, doing the heavy lifting and generating the real positive outcomes for the business. Not, it's not about the law of large numbers, really.
0: Totally, that makes sense. It like you said, I think partnerships is a better way to frame it, and really selecting the few that you really go after. And that can really, they fall in line with the values of your company. So they're not misrepresenting or, or, you know, coming up, you don't want to, you don't want to partner with somebody who's a partner with a hundred other companies in the space. <laughs> it's just. <Exactly. laughs> and I'll, I'll give
1: you one example, Jordan. Like there was a guy on our team who had brought up this idea of putting, uh, you guys might've all seen this, right? Which is you're on a website, an e-commerce website and your, your mouse, you tend to go and it, it appears to be that you want to exit. And you have these pop-ups show up, right? And there's companies that specialize in just what is that pop-up? What's that um, modal window look like? And what does it say? And trying to re-engage you. And he brought it up and he's like, hey, this is a great idea. I think we can generate a lot more registrations and activity through this affiliate partner. And we only pay them if they're able to effectively re-engage the customer base. We ended up not doing it because going back to that first principle is like, is this aligned to like our brand, like core principles? And it just felt way too aggressive to me. And what I was pushing back on the team a little bit is, should we make our product just more engaging so that we don't have to capture someone when they've already said, I'm leaving? We should just make the product more engaging, right? Like figure out like, why is the user leaving? What do we not have for them? Don't try to stuff them into your funnel. And so we ended up passing on that. Even though that could have had some decent lift, it just didn't feel right for the brand.
0: And you can't even measure consumer frustration out of ev- everyone hates those things. Like, so that's the part where you can't measure it, right? You go, okay, we got this lift, but then does that fall in line? It's like companies who, um, if you want to cancel from their product, you have to dial in and they like <laughs> hide that number. Total. And they're like, look, our churn rate. And it's like, yeah, you're, but you're making everyone angry. Right. <laughs> like, right. that's not a value that you want for long-term growth. That's right. <laughs> it's like anyone who's ever tried to cancel Verizon. <laughs> good, good luck. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're in the endless phone tree, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, switching gears just a bit, right? I want to talk about Roofstock and really bringing... So Roofstock, for you listeners, it's a platform that allows you to buy and sell you know, single family homes across the country that are rent ready. So it's an investment, you know, platform and you can get in and get in these homes. Age old idea when it comes to investing in real estate, but really a new idea when it comes to invest in real estate that's a state away, two states away, three states away, et cetera. Talk to me about you're coming into really an emerging market when I look at like remote real estate investing and the importance of educating the consumers? Because that to me seems like real estate is something that people want to look, touch, and feel. So really, how has that been? And how important has education been to Roofstock's overall marketing plan?
1: Education is extremely important. Extremely important, right? I think there's, if you just think about real estate investing, there's a ton of interest, right? You could just do a Google Trends and you see it. And so I think everyone has thought about real estate investing in maybe one way, shape, or form. But when it comes time to actually do a transaction, there's a lot at risk, right? And, you know, here we are, this sort of nameless, faceless, it's, it's a website that you're interacting with. And so I think when it comes to education, it's education about who is Roofstock, right? What do we do? What does our company stand for? How do we, uh, and then it's kind of like on investing in general, like, you know, what are pitfalls? Like you've got to be, like our role is really as a marketplace, right? So we're not necessarily saying, hey, you have to invest in real estate. We're not trying to like cram a consumer into it. What we're trying to do is to say, hey, there is this way to build wealth. And what we're trying to do is to de-risk the process of entering this category for you. You still have to be aware as a buyer that you're entering a a sizable transaction. You're going to end up having to put a significant amount of capital into it, call it 20% or 30% down. So look, I mean, education is a big deal, right? It's it's, we make it point and click easy and it's almost like buying shoes online, but there's a balance here and we want to make sure that we're, you know, having a balanced approach in education saying, hey, yeah, there's a lot of great and good from this, but you should be careful and follow, you know, four or five principles, things to look out for before you take the take the leap.
0: One of the things I really liked is has been the way that Roofstock has positioned itself and really the company's core DNA that's, hey, we're gonna educate on real estate investing as a whole and we're not just gonna continually, you know, talk about our product. So you guys have your own podcast, The Remote Real Estate Investor, which if anyone listening to this is interested in that, definitely go check that out because it's really just, you know, this vehicle to talk about the best practices when it comes to investing, things to look out for, really helping consumers get more educated. Because the educated consumer, like you said, they're gonna go through this is a sizable purchase, right? A sizable investment. It's maybe like you're saying, as easy technically as an Amazon purchase, but financially, definitely not, you know, not buying a pair of shoes. It's a sizable right. transaction. Probably most people's biggest. Or second biggest outside of their maybe primary residence, so that education component, educational component becomes so important.
1: That's huge, Um, and then the other thing is like we take education a little bit, kind of a step beyond. I think many companies are doing this right, especially they're consumer focused, which is not to just educate and sort of like spread the one to many word, right? Which you can do through podcasts, and we're like kind of talking at large, and people are are consuming that. But it's how do you use social media? Like for us, it's not really a customer acquisition. Play as it is a conversation play, right? And people are consuming and having dialogues about um, a variety of topics, and it could be on Twitter, it could be on on Facebook, in in various groups and whatnot. So we're trying to like you know spread the education, be part of the dialogue, and that's also a little bit different in how we're approaching things like social media than what a lot of other companies are doing. It's I think it's a lot about the conversation, right?
0: One hundred percent, and that's to speaking to roof stocks social. It's interesting to see on Twitter when you guys, it's like posting something on, hey, you just inherited a home, what would you do? Right? And a couple options. And then seeing the real estate community and real estate investing community at hold really have these conversations and people connecting with each other within the thread and, and what have you. And it becomes this thing like you're saying, it's not just a, hey, look at us, look at we're so great type of messaging and Place for that. It's a place where people are coming and can have discourse. Similar to, you know, like bigger pockets, what they do on their forum. If you ever go to a bigger pockets forum, you see yep. discourse back and forth, and it's very useful totally. for outsiders who come in. And I think taking that approach for brands is saying, hey, you know, we're not going to be the know-it-alls but we're definitely going to start conversations and let you know experts within the community you know our experts will jump in we have an opinion but really also enabling and inviting you know potential customers and other experts to come in and give their opinion because we can learn stuff too at the same time
1: yeah you know it's the other interesting thing jordan is that you mentioned bigger pockets a lot of our customers have come to us and said hey you know i've been following forums it's all been awesome but do you guys have anything more formal and guided for me and that was where we ended up pulling together an entire sort of University program we call it the, the uh, Roofstock Academy, and it's a paid education. We call it our mastery course. Like if you go through this, you're going to come out being a uh, extremely well informed investor. And the goal is you know to help people essentially build their own personal investing playbook. So it's kind of taking you know the best of like MasterClass and you know all those kind of online university and education programs, combining it with what is really a need that we've heard from consumers saying, hey, yeah, there's a lot of information out there, almost too much to consume, which of that, it's almost like sorting through that noise a little bit, like what's relevant for me. And so this is done, it's not tremendously expensive. People can get into a program and now have sort of like personalized education as well. And that's been tremendously successful. There's been a need for it. And I think, you know, as other companies think about like go-to-market strategy, especially when it's a considered purchase like this, you've got to like, you know, think of all the ways that people you know, are getting educated, quote unquote, or not educated, right, and provide them the easy path. And so there's a variety of appetites for that.
0: And I mean, with the current climate and all of us having to stay home, it becomes an even better you know thing to go out and put into the marketplace i think those first 2 weeks of lockdown with coronavirus i'm pretty sure masterclass probably spent i don't even want to know what their ad spend was but i couldn't turn around without seeing a masterclass i'm like am i going to learn how to cook today and you know i think that just speaks to people are at home especially if they're in the work from home environment. A lot of people in the Bay area, New York work from home and yeah, I've got a lot of time on their hands to take it and learn. So it's an interesting play, an interesting thing to do, you know, to actually say, okay, we're going to create this academy to make something more formal, which I think is brings me to, you know, the next thing and look kind of the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, that feedback is so ended up leading to a product. How often and what mechanisms do you use to really get consumer feedback to help, you know, shape, new products and new product direction
1: yeah uh, we're constantly getting feedback right one is existing customer feedback and just even people who have registered on our site and i'll loop them into sort of our existing customers but then just social listening tools right like people are like saying all sorts of stuff on twitter and you need to be plugged into that because you're learning a lot about what a potential segment of, of customer base is talking about and what could be potential needs And so there's both of those, what we're doing sort of with our existing customer base on a formal basis, we do quarterly surveys, and this could be taking segments of our users, people who have bought, people who have bought multiple, people who have registered, but never bought, people who registered three years ago and just bought, right? So take a look at your audiences and and profile and, and craft your survey questions appropriately for that segment. The other thing that we do is like, I was just mentioning the Roofstock Academy, One area of this, you know, when people sign up for this program, we actually invite them all into a Slack channel, right? And so we're doing sort of almost like group learning, if you will. And a lot of what takes place in that Slack channel are members of the Academy, either posting properties that they're looking at and other members of the Academy are sort of chiming in. And what's interesting that's coming out of this is that you're almost spotting needs, right? Just by monitoring the chats that are happening, that might be product gaps that we need to fill right and so we have a number of channels that we're doing this and some is formal some is informal you know some is like just kind of social listening and then we end up pulling that all back in and saying on a quarterly basis hey what are the customer needs what are their um what are gaps in our product stack that we might want to end up filling
0: very cool very cool to hear too how community conversation can then lead to actual product changes well Suresh Thanks for coming on today, man. Before I let you go, let people know where they can learn more about Roofstock and connect online. Of course,
1: go to roofstock.com. If uh, anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm just Suresh, S-U-R-E-S-H at roofstock.com or find me on LinkedIn and let's connect.
0: Beautiful. And guys, Suresh gave you his email. Don't go try to sell him crappy software right out the gate. (laughs) I always have to warn the audience. I'm like, hey, go. If you have a real question about real estate investing, send it over, but <laughs> don't be one of those people. Awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Jordan. All right, everyone. That's it for the episode. As always, please hit like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff at the bottom of your podcast app. And I will also link to Roofstock and Suresh's LinkedIn in the show notes. So make sure to hit that if you want to connect with him. I'll catch you next time. Oh.